0: those are all the updates that we have got going. How amazing is this season that we are in, hey? I really sense that God's doing something so significant, and so we're stepping into a series that we're calling Strong Hearts. Strong Hearts. Um, I, I was reading this in Ecclesiastes this week. Um, I'm, God put on my heart that I needed to study Ecclesiastes, I don't really know if i i appreciate it Uh, uh, but god put on my heart that there's something in this book that is overlooked often and that we need to come to and in ecclesiastes 7 verse 2 ready to be encouraged it says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone the living should take this to heart This was exactly the kind of reaction I thought we would get. (laughs) Verse 3, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. As we go through a series called Strong Hearts, I want you to just reflect for a moment. What do you think a strong heart looks like? what do you think when, when you have to describe your heart you evaluate where your heart is at and what is going on what kind of adjectives would you use or what kind of adjectives would you like to use and i think that a part of it for me is that many of us myself included think that my heart is going well when i'm happy That happiness is part of I'm doing well. If I'm happy, I am doing well. And that is the equation that our culture gives to us. That is the equation that our body gives to us. When we are happy, our bodies tend to be more relaxed. It tends to be more it actually is able to recover. If We are constantly in frustration, constantly in mourning, constantly in grief. Our bodies tense up and it doesn't recover as well. Those are legitimate reasons why happiness is often seen as something that is really good for our hearts. Laughter is the medicine of the soul. But Ecclesiastes seems to tell us that maybe we need to be careful that we don't equate happiness and pleasure and feasting with the only ways that our hearts are strong. And that is what this series is all about, that we have an examination of how we actually have strong hearts and what a strong heart actually is. And when it comes to talking about the heart, the verse that always comes to my mind is Proverbs 4.23, which says, "'Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life.'" And I think that Solomon, who likely wrote this, is really clever because he plays on this in a a couple of ways. In the Jewish mindset, the blood is the life, is where life is at. And so our hearts are the muscle that pumps this life through our body. It flows the springs of life, literally in a Jewish way. But it also means, in a more um, metaphorical way, that from our center What is in our hearts gets pumped into all of our lives, and it becomes the focal point of our attention. It becomes the perspective by which we make decisions from. And that is what it means about uh, uh, why the heart is so important. And therefore, when we have issues or things or circumstances or a certain emotion that is on our heart, we will tend to see it in every other aspect of life. To put it in a positive way, many of you might remember the first time you went on a date with your spouse, when you were just dating, or someone that you really, 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 really love, and that first date was probably magical, right? And everything about that day, even if it was raining, if it was raining, it was like, oh, the rain forced us to kind of have to huddle under that umbrella, and it was so wonderful as though like sharing an umbrella is actually romantic it's not it's dumb but you just do it because you have to you know you 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 go for this meal and the waiter was really mean but then we had a good laugh about it (laughs) so good you know when there was happiness in your heart everything was great and wonderful and and rainbows and beautiful but then when there's something that is lodged in your heart that is really uh, uh, grievous, is hurtful, it's is, is painful, you start to see that in every interaction that you have. For example, if you have a boss that you're not sure whether uh, they like you or not, every interaction you have with that boss is literally in your mind fraught with danger. You think that this boss could, could fire you at any moment. Everything that you say could be used against you in the court of law, you know, it, it is is this heaviness when you're heartbroken when you lose something you love suddenly the joy is wiped out from the face of the planet you could be having the most delicious meal prepped in front of you and you could think that is bland or is just unappetizing in this moment you see what is happening in our hearts the perspective that we're holding in our hearts often flows into every aspect of our lives And so with this, it kind of sounds like happiness is the way forward, doesn't it? But I'm here to tell you that I don't think that that's the case. And that's not what the Bible teaches us. And in fact, this Proverbs itself sometimes can be a little bit confusing because Solomon says, keep your heart with all vigilance. Some of the translations says, guard your heart with all vigilance. Now, just imagine with me, what does it look to keep or to guard something? To keep or to guard something to me feels like you're supposed to have really thick impenetrable walls doesn't it or maybe a moat that that removes you from everything else and i think many of us know that even though happiness is uh, something we love to experience we also know that happiness is often fleeting and i spoke about that first date that you had with uh, this wonderful person that you love and how everything was amazing well, fast forward a few years, and is every single moment as rosy and beautiful? If you haven't had a fight with your spouse, are you even married? You know you know that that's the case. Things don't always go all right. Happiness cannot be the standard of life. And the problem is that when we are happy, when we are uh, uh, doing well with someone, often around the corner is pain and heartbreak, isn't it? And so the proverb tells us to keep our heart, to guard our heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the issues of life. And the picture that I get is that we need to build this amazingly strong wall around ourselves. We need to be hard. We need to be able to keep bad things and bad people out. That's what it sounds like, doesn't it? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. And I think as a younger person growing up, that's literally how I thought life should be. I remember talking to my mom one day when I was just a teenager going through my hormonal stage. I said, Mom, I don't need friends. I don't need friends because the Bible tells me where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so I don't need friends because if I have to treasure my friends, then I'll be living here on earth. My heart will be here, but my treasure is God. God. And so my heart is with God, and I don't need... Friends, I remember saying that. I remember trying to stay aloof and stay detached from people, but I learned at some stage, I don't know if that's even possible. Because without people, there is no pain, maybe, but there's also no joy. There is no life. If you want to be a hermit in the middle of nowhere, I mean, Perth is pretty close to nowhere. but you still can't make it. In fact, there is this, and Alicia mentioned this TV show, I haven't watched it, but there's this TV show called Alone where they put people in the wilderness alone and see how long they can survive for. It is not so much the, the survival skills that's necessary, is the physical, is the literal aloneness, the relational aloneness that makes these people crazy and crack, and that's why one of the greatest punishments we give to people in our criminal system is solitary confinement. So are we really literally meant to have a wall around our heart? Are we meant to harden up and to force people outside from us? Is that what Solomon is trying to tell us? Is that what the Bible is trying to tell us? And as I looked into it, the thing that really got me is that the Bible describes a hard heart as a sinful heart. Every time the Bible talks about a hardness of heart, it talks about a person who is sinning, who is sinful. Let me read this to you. In Ezekiel 36, 25, 27 And this is what God says to the Israelites who are currently in exile because they had been disobedient and they had been idolatrous um, toward God. It says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove what? The heart of stone, a hard heart and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. A hard heart is a sinful heart, is an idolatrous heart. Hebrews 3, 12 to 15 says this, take care brothers, lest there be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another or encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be what? hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, as it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Hardness of heart always comes together with sinfulness. Hardened hearts is always about a rebellion against God. So when Solomon is telling us to guard our hearts. He's not saying to harden your hearts up. In fact, He is saying He must be in the context of the whole Bible. That must not be what He is saying. It is necessary for us to understand that guarding your heart is not about becoming harder. It's not about becoming a detached from other people, but rather it's about something else completely. In fact, when we look at Hebrews 3, 12 to 15, what does the author of Hebrews tell us? that, hey, brothers and sisters, for us to not harden our hearts, what are you meant to do? You are meant to exhort one another every single day. The hardness of our hearts is stopped. It is solved in part. It is dealt with in part by living in a community where people can encourage you every single day. That doesn't tell me that you've got a hard heart in fact it tells me that you've got a soft heart in my journey as a pastor over the last 13 years it's a bit crazy thinking that i've been doing it for this long already i have learned that having a hard heart stops me from being around people it stops me from interacting with people It stops me from hearing their story. It stops me from getting to know people. And you know what? The hardness of my heart allows me to protect myself from disappointment, but it also stops me from having a true, genuine friendship where I'm encouraged by other people and so what the author of hebrews is telling us is that sin hardens our heart but being in community where people actually know you where you have a soft heart towards people is what is going to keep you going strong hearts is not about being hard it's not about being tough it's not about never feeling negative emotions in fact strong hearts i believe is about being able to feel everything And experience every kind of emotion, being able to experience every kind of experience and continuing to choose to stay close both to God and to His people. If you struggle to be in community, it probably means that you have a hard heart. If you struggle to open up and allow other people to see who you are and to speak into your life, you've probably got a hard heart. And you are on your way, and I'm not saying this in a condemning way, I'm saying this in a, hey, hang on, watch the signs. The Bible tells us that we can continually continue to harden our hearts with sin. And what is sin? It's simply not doing what God wants from us and wants for us. And so I started to see that maybe a strong heart is not so much about my strength, but it's about understanding what I'm focused on. As I mentioned, what is on our heart already focuses us on the different aspects of life. And so what does a strong heart do? A strong heart is focused on following Christ. A strong heart is one that courageously dares to see things the way that Christ sees them. I'm going to use this story, I haven't got their permission, but I was sitting down with a couple a while ago who have gone through a situation where their pastors at their church did some grievous, grievous, sinful things and harmful things, and it, it's, it's wrecked the church, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on, and as I was sitting down with them, I could hear the pain, I could hear the frustration and I just asked this guy, like, what is it that is so getting your emotions uh, stirred up? And after a while, he says, the injustice of it all. It's the injustice of it all. This person who has done some grievous, terrible things is continue, uh, continues to be allowed to do what he has always done. And the people who are hurt continue to be hurt in this process. And say, so I don't know why God allows that to happen. Isn't that a question that often comes from pain? Why, God, are you allowing this to happen? And as we were sitting there, I think it must have been Holy Spirit because it was a painful thing for me to say. I don't know what God is intending. I don't know what God's justice looks like in this situation. But how would you feel if God decides to show mercy to this person? And he just went, like it literally hurt him in that moment. It literally hurt him, but then as he felt that and and he sat there with that, he suddenly realized, but if I'm truly seeking after God's justice, I need to be okay with what he's seeking after and not what I'm seeking after, and we coined this term that we often in our lives seek vigilante justice, not God's justice we hear about an injustice a wrong and truly it is a wrong and we immediately think that we need to write it in our ways because god obviously isn't working hard enough and we go all batman on the situations that we find in life and we go off and we be mavericks away from the community of god away from the hand of god trying to achieve things that god has never intended to achieve why did god allow hitler to have years of reign Why did God allow all these atrocities? If He is truly a God of justice, wouldn't He have done something about it? Or is maybe God, or does God maybe have a different perspective on what is taking place? Is God maybe working something out? And as I sat with this couple, and they were so humble, they were so vulnerable, they truly, to me, had strong hearts because they were saying, I want God's justice more than anything else, even if it hurts me. I want to be able to know what it is that God is wanting so that I can say yes to it. And they laid themselves down for that. See, the Bible doesn't give us the storyline that you trust God, everything will work out well and you'll be happily ever after. Wrong book, guys. Not our book. Someone else's. If someone comes to your door and tells you, I can promise you happiness, is not the Bible. But happiness is momentary. But peace from God, joy that comes from a depth beyond ourselves. Like as much as I was describing this conversation, and and and, and, and many times we're on the verge of tears, but we also laughed. And there was this sense that we're in this together, and I felt alive in that room. There was a moment, right? We were talking, and, and they were saying, hey, Nate, what's your wisdom for this situation? And I was like, man, that's really hard to explain. Rah, rah, rah. I was talking, 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 and then my Apple Watch chimes up and says, sorry, I do not have an answer for that. Literally, in the middle of this, like, super deep conversation, my watch, decides to chime in. Thank you, Siri, for telling us that there's no answer to the evilness in this world. Thank you. We laugh. We had a good laugh. And I think that's what the community of God is. We laugh together. We cry together. We don't leave each other when things get tough. We find ways to stick things out when things get tough. Because why? Because I need you to stop me from hardening up. I need your words. I need your love to help me continue to combat the sin that continues to encroach and harden my heart. I continue to see that sometimes being in community is prickly because all of us have got prickles in our life that aren't that great to deal with. But by doing so, I am building a strong heart. I mean, I love this Psalm, Psalm 51 verse 10, which says, create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right passion within me or a right spirit within me. But do you know that, that David wrote this psalm after he committed adultery and then committed murder? And how did he write this psalm? Is because there was someone who dared to approach the king of Israel and say, you have done wrong and you have sinned against God. And then to his credit, what did David do? He repented and came before God with a humble heart. This is a picture. Now David is amazing in so many ways but and, and we often throw stones at him for his adultery and his murder which rightly so. But his attitude and his heart shows a softness that I think we can learn from. So church as we move through the series my heart is that my heart is that you question and ask yourself What is a strong heart? Do I have a strong heart? Do I have a heart that is going to go through life focused on God and dealing with the things that God has put in my journey to make me stronger, to make me uh, uh, live out what you've called for me? Or do we look at our circumstances and determine what we are meant to be focused on? See, I want to finish off with this story about a man named Daniel. Daniel has this whole book uh, in the Bible, in the Old Testament, and the second half of it is a little bit white, let's be honest. He sees visions, and he writes them down, and it's a little bit weird, but for the first few chapters, it takes us through this guy's life. And Daniel was an exile from Israel, which tells us this, his parents were probably killed by the Babylonians. And then he was taken into Babylon as an orphan, probably, and then tried to be enculturated into the Babylonian ways. But somehow, even from a young age, Daniel knew that he was not going to compromise and he was going to follow God. He said no to the food of Israel. He said no to the laws that went against God, but yet he continued to serve the king. He became the king's right-hand man. He was an exile whose parents were killed by that king. He serves the king. That's pretty crazy. And then later on, the next king comes around, and this king, who is a little bit of a doofus, allows some of the people to tell him, hey, why don't you write this law that anyone praying to another god needs to be thrown into the lion's den? Many of us know that story. And so what does the king do? Yeah, that sounds like fun. I want people to pray to me. And so he writes this law. And then when Daniel first hears of this law, what does he do? non-compromised. He goes and prays before God. He knows that these other people have it out for him. It is an unfair situation. He's never had it out for any of these other guys. He was just trying to live according to God's ways, but does that discourage him? No, he lives for God. He does what God wants him to do. He gets thrown into the lion's den. God doesn't save him from that, but God does another miracle. Some of us are missing God's miracle because we're so scared of the lion's den. The miracle wasn't not going to the lion's den. The miracle is surviving the lion's den and having a good time with 10 big kitty cats. I think that's a pretty good little trial to go through. But when we get to the vision part, there's this passage that this week caught my attention. See, Daniel was praying, and and in a vision, an angel brought a message to him. So I'm going to read it out. And he, being the angel, said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you, and stand upright, as in Daniel, stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he spoke this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humble yourself before your God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. Now the story is that there was a bit of a delay. This angel didn't come immediately when Daniel prayed, but this angel told Daniel, the moment you set your heart on following God, God heard those words. Words. See, over the course of the next few weeks, we'll talk about different things that steal us away from our focus on God, that steal us away from being able to give everything to God. But in the midst of all of that, let me just encourage you. From the first day you set your heart on understanding and humbled yourself before God, God heard your words. More than anything, I pray that strong hearts means that with my heart set on following God, He's hearing my prayers. What an encouragement to us to know that God is listening to every single word that you say. What an encouragement it is to us, and I love that we did a series earlier this year on the Upper Room Discourse that Jesus gave to His disciples, and it echoes this intention. Jesus says again and again and again and again in John uh, 15 to 17, He says that whatever you pray in My name, it will be done. See, strong hearts, I believe, will see this community changed, Strong hearts will see people's lives transform for what God wants to do. Strong hearts will direct our steps in a way of integrity and character. Strong hearts will help us to stand true in the midst of a storm. Strong hearts are bringing us into the very uh, uh, courts of God. Strong hearts are bringing us before God's presence, where we can bring our petitions before Him and to see miracles break out and happen. Strong hearts is not about the circumstance and what is taking place or what has taken place. Strong hearts is about what God is doing to bring His kingdom onto earth. And we need strong hearts because weak hearts that are hardened, that are hiding behind walls, are not actually finding any joy, finding any truth, finding anything that is from God, because God is saying, come on, I've got something so much better for you. We are actually fighting against a culture that tells us that it's a doggy dog world, that it's a rat race, that we need to look after ourselves. And the Bible's telling us that's not a strong heart. That's an isolated heart. It might even be a sinful heart. So as we close this morning, if we can get the band back up. The core question that I want to leave with you is, what is your heart actually focused on? What has got your attention? When you think about God, what comes to mind? And maybe with all of that, is God possibly stirring something up? Maybe from this morning about coming back to Him? about coming to a place where he is there for you. Daniel the Exile. Daniel the Targeted. Continue to understand that his strength didn't come from anything other than God. I don't know what situation you found yourself in. I don't know what situation maybe you have lived through. But over this series, can I ask us, church, to at the very least examine our hearts. And if we come to God and we say, Create in me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew a right spirit within me, and allow God to speak into those spaces in our life. Where's their hardness? Where's there areas that we push God and maybe others away from? You know, a little earlier this year, there was this so-called, many people called it a revival that took place in America. And there was like this kind of worship session that went on for days and days and days. And I remember reading a person who wrote an article about that and other revivals that have taken place in the history. of of the revivals and this person said revival isn't about the miracles that break out revival isn't about all the showy stuff that happen revival is about when people actually come fully to God and when there's enough people that come together and say I'm gonna give you everything God every breath every decision I want to make it on your behalf what is it that you are wanting to do when that happens revival begins to break out it doesn't have to be about how skillful you are it doesn't have to be about how amazing you are it is all about the heart it's all about what you are focused on and so church i believe that we are in a moment i believe that we are in a season as a church that if we truly set our hearts on understanding God's ways, on humbling ourselves before Him, maybe even repenting and saying, God, I see how I have been going down one direction and I need to turn back to You. As we do that, I believe that something is going to break out in this place in your life. I believe that the difference that it will make in in your future is going to be amazing, absolutely amazing. So can we stand, church? In a moment, the band's going to lead us in this chorus. But before they do, I just want to pray. And if that's you, if you want to respond, if you want to say, God, examine my heart, I want you to speak to me. Can you just put your hands out as a sign of surrender, as a sign of God? I want you to examine me. I want you to search every part of me. And I want to come back to you. Dear Jesus, come search my heart. that anything that is not of you God be highlighted and God I pray that you help me to courageously step into the things that you have called me to God I thank you Jesus amen we hope you've enjoyed this week's message Follow us on Instagram at the Lift Church or on Facebook at Livechurch Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.